bless you all for being here in this house today and for those of you who are part of our extended family. It's just good to be in the house of the Lord and to be reminded that fear, he is a liar. <laughs> fear, he is a liar. Amen. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of all of those things. In Jesus, there is nothing that is impossible. Do you have a memory, however, a memory, that when that memory surfaces in your thoughts, I think with me a minute, a memory, a defeat, a failure of some sort, the, the, the memory of somebody, some powerful personality, alive or dead. And when you feel that coming strongly into your thoughts, do you find yourself saying, maybe not using these words, but but saying, I am what you say I am. That memory, memory of rejection, memory of abandonment, memory of somebody walking out of your life, memory of something that you did maybe that was, that was wrong, that you know it was wrong. But when it comes up, you find yourself in the position, submitting to the position, I am what you say I am. Folks, every day, every day, every day, we have choices like that to make. To submit to rejections that have come from the past or maybe in the present, memories of things that have the power many times to rule over us. I am what you say I am. There is one awesomely wonderful exception to that way of living. And it is to realize that Jesus Christ is the shame breaker and that he has the power to change our perspective. He has the power to bring different and new and better and freer conclusions to our attitudes about who we are. Instead of bowing down to a person who rejects, or a situation that rejects to set our focus upon Jesus the Christ and from within our hearts by the work of his spirit in us to be able to say, I am by the grace of God who you say I am. Now that's where we're headed this morning. 
There may not be um, a lot of folks in this room who have known about failure, have known about what it is to be rejected, or have walked through any season that you felt shame in your life, but I'm just, I'm just guessing that there might be one or two in this room who have walked those streets, and this may be relevant. I am who you say I am, O oh, shame breaker Jesus. I am who you say I am. Go with me again, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. We camped out there for a while last week. But it bears our, our brief examination again this morning. It's the story of Jesus having been invited repeatedly to the Pharisee's house for an evening meal. While they are there, the door opens or the curtain opens or some way or another a woman appears at the house, enters the room, and proceeds to do a most unusual, shocking, if you will, probably embarrassing to the host, the Pharisee. And by the way, the, the Pharisees were that, that group of the religiously elite in their day. They, they were known for their, their uh, teetotaling. They were known for their attempts to be exactly obedient to everything that could be found in the Bible. And they would be um, known as ones who, because they felt that they were so righteous and so so well-behaving that they had the right to be everybody else's judge, everybody else's police. But the amazing thing about this is Jesus really did have a heart for the, the Pharisees. He, he, the, the up and out, and then lo and behold, in the up and out's house, here shows a down and out. Here, here she comes. It could have been a he, uh, morally um, loose, moral failures marking her life. It could have been a man, but it happened that in this case, it was a woman. So there sits Jesus. God in the flesh, God out of heaven, now on earth in a human body. And he is here for the express purpose of conveying to the human race what God is really like, what the one true and living God is really like. As he would show what God is like, he would also be demonstrating what God is not like. So here he sits in this room, and he's... And he's, he's He's being approached by both ends of the moral spectrum. Somebody who was known for not sinning and somebody who was known for sinning. And there he sits in the middle. So here we, here we read, verse 36, Luke 7. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and, and he entered the Pharisee's house. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. Behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he, he said to himself, if this man, talking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. He would know that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days worth of wages, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he, the moneylender, Jesus said in his story, graciously forgave them both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, customarily, providing guests the ability to wash their dusty feet take their sandals off, their shoes off, come into the house with clean feet. Roads were not paved, all of the obvious. It was just something that was, that was basic hospitality that was afforded guests. You, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you gave me no kiss, no kiss of greeting. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with all customary practice, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that woman, as she left there, as she gathered up what was left in her alabaster bottle and she walked out of that house, she must have had working in her heart this statement about Jesus and about what Jesus has said to her, I am who you say I am. I am forgiven. I am valuable. I am worthy. I am who you say I am. The Pharisee, more than likely, Simon, had not yet and maybe would not ever change his opinion of that woman. She always, to him, 
could be the woman of the streets, that immoral woman. All the rest of the days of this woman's life, she had the choice of remembering the look on the Pharisee's face at her on that night and the looks of, a, of many others that looked down on her. And in, and in many cases, because of the, the, the mess that she had made of her life and the choices that she had made, they, they had a right to look with some degree of disdain on her. But Jesus, his heart for her, knowing everything that she had done every night, every day, every weekend, every party, everything about her, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. She has the opportunity to take on the Pharisees' continued rejection. I am who you say I am. Or she can live at the place of saying back to Jesus, I am who you say I am. Now we don't know, as we talked about last week, we don't know the previous connections that Jesus and this woman had had. She would be lumped in, the, lumped in the category along with the tax gatherers, which was the category known as sinners. They were the, they were the morally despicable of the day. The tax gatherers thought of as, as thieves and traitors and liars and all of the above because they were collecting taxes from Jewish people Working for the Romans, that they themselves were, were Jewish people. They, they, they grew to be filthy rich. They, they cheated on the taxes, what they charged, what they turned into the Romans. It, it, was, it was known. And along with them what was a group that ran with them known as the sinners. They, they were the irreligious Jews. They, 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 weren't, they weren't synagogue people. They weren't, they weren't tracking with Moses. They, they, they weren't, they weren't uh, in, in the flow of the feast days and so forth. But for some reason, and Luke makes a point of this as he writes about the life of Jesus, he said there would be times when it seemed like all of the tax gatherers and all of the sinners were coming to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to hear what he had to say, but I believe they also wanted to just hear how he said it that there was a measure of authority in his words, but there was also a measure of kindness in his words. Here he is, God, the holy, pure, just, and righteous God in a human body walking this earth. But in his presence were also ones that would be as far from the other to the other end of the spectrum of what would be right and what would be pure and what would be clean and what would be honorable in the sight of God as, as any group of people could be. Some way or another, in the life of Jesus, 
there was the ability to walk in absolute purity, but also to have an infinite heart of compassion for broken, sinful people. Now, I just want to take a shot over the head of a cottontail rabbit that just ran out of a bush. I'm going to shoot over his head. A rabbit jumped up. I'm going to chase that rabbit for a second, not eat him. But here's the point. Some way or another, and it's not a Jesus point. It's not a Holy Spirit point. But we as, as Christians sometimes can find ourselves coming to the conclusion that if I'm going to walk in purity, if I'm going to walk in holiness, then I've got to get myself as far away from folks who, who, are, who are going the wrong way and living like I used to live, maybe, as, as I can be. And I'm going to just surround myself with as many Christians as I can surround myself with. And all those people I used to have a connection with and used to know, I'm cutting them off because I got me a new holy huddle right here. And the world can go to hell tomorrow. And the church doesn't care. Because we don't know them. We don't open our hearts to them. The real Jesus, the real Jesus, pure as the driven snow, spotless. If he had a moral blemish upon his character, he could not have died for our sins. He had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. So by being in the company of ones who were sinners did not translate into sin on Jesus. And I want to say to the church, Satan loves it when we exit ourselves from the culture around us. He loves it when we become so judgmental and so closed and so assuming that we have everything figured out, we've got God all boxed in, we've got all the timelines figured out, and those poor fools out there that, that, that hadn't really figured it out yet, well, that they just contend to themselves. Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees in the modern church. Alamo City, don't you be that guy. Don't you be the, it, it doesn't mean that at all that Jesus condoned the woman's moral choices. He said their sins, her sins which are many, but at the same time he said that, he welcomed her presence, he received her affection. And, and the, the thing, somewhere along the line, she had been touched by Jesus, evidently. She knew who he was. Maybe it was the words of hope that all she had heard from the religious crowd was condemnation and judgment, and you'll never amount to anything, and you're too far gone, and we don't have any time for you, and just, just fend for yourself. But in Jesus, somehow she heard worth. Somehow she heard dignity, even though she was in, living in a manner that did not, did not relate to the kind of dignity that maybe she had once had or would aspire for. But Jesus seemed to represent to her evidently a second chance. Maybe not just a second chance, maybe a 1,000th chance. How about a 5,000th chance? How about a 1 millionth chance? 
Thank God for a million chances to start over again by his grace and by his mercy. If you're going to be known by something out yonder in the lost world, for goodness sakes, don't be known as a Simon the Pharisee's double first cousin. But be known as a friend of Jesus. A friend of Jesus. So, so, so Jesus turns to the Pharisee and he says, here are all the things they're just common decency would point to that you didn't give. But look at the extravagance of this woman's affection. Now, I just want to say to you, I believe that those, those things that Jesus was doing, the, the fact that he, he accepted her presence, the fact that he received her affection, that, that, he, that, that he, he honored the, the expression that she was doing. He gave, he gave not only permission, but he gave praise to that. Look at what she has done, Simon. But here's, here's the other thing, that as she walked away from there, had to have been ringing in her heart, he declared her standing. He declared her standing. He declared her standing. Your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean a whole lot if you've never known what sin is, you know, or felt like you, you just never have really struggled with something that could take you down the toilet. But when you've known what it is, for there to be something pulling at your soul from the downside, and there have been times when you've yielded to that and maybe more years in your life than you'd even like to remember or think about again, the sound of these words, your sins have been forgiven. Precious words. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. I've watched grown men, 6'6", six, six, able to pick up the back end of a Toyota with one hand. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. But when you would get to talking to them about the love of Jesus and his love for a sinner, his, his mercy toward a sinner, grown men, Vividly remembering the yesterdays with shame and sorrow connected with them to realize that he saw me as I was. And he, by his mercy, is rescuing me. He has forgiven me. The word to be forgiven is the, it's, a, it's an accounting word. It's a, it's a financial word. It means to be released from, to have the debt cleared, that there's no longer a line item issue that you can be charged for. The charge is gone. The, the, the account is clear. There's, that there's nothing left that anyone can come and say, you owe, owe. That's what Jesus did on the cross. When that drops 18 inches, it changes your heart. It changes your life. Sins that he didn't commit, that I did commit, that you did commit. Culture will say, oh, it's just an affair. Culture will say, oh, it was, I, was just, I was just using, talking like people talk. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's sex with anybody other than your spouse. Anybody. 
Not a lot of amens on that. Okay, but, but so, so here we go. So, so, so here we go. And, and we're not going to raise hands, all right? We're not going to raise hands to identify guilt around here of what we've been forgiven for. That's between us and the Lord. But every one of those violations of the law of God, and he says don't do these things because if you do those things, they're going to hurt you. They're going to destroy marriages. They're going to break up families. They're going to do things that a wonderful, a loving society would not want in its, as a part of its system. So he says, don't lie. He says, don't cheat. He says, don't you be faithful to your family, those kind of things. Because it's strength. It's not to, it's not to make us hurt. It's to make us stronger and better. But when we blow it in those places, then what? The guilt accumulates. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit has been given so that he would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's why there can be so many addicts of various kinds. It's an attempt to drown out the voice of guilt. That the Spirit would be trying to say, you're better than this. That there's another life past this. What you think is, is fun, it's killing you. It, it, you're, you're a slave to it. You're, you're not free, you're a slave. So the Spirit works to convict us, show us our sin, and then what? Then and only then does it make sense. This, this incredible, indescribable gift that God himself did for the human race where he took the sins, all of them collectively but individually accumulated, and he put them on his own back. He became the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ became his own sacrifice for your sins, for my sins. Folks, listen. We, we can... We can holler about that and go read the verses on the subject. We can treat it academically all day long. But when that drops 18 inches out of your brain and into your heart, and you realize that the only perfect and pure and absolutely loving man who ever lived took your sins, when you didn't ask him to, maybe when you were cussing his name and violating his law at light speed, he saw you coming, and he loved you from a distance. He loved you from the time that he knew of you, which is eternity past. And he made provision through his own shed blood for your sins to be forgiven, for your sins to be deleted, for your sins to no longer be the reason that you couldn't be accepted into heaven. Heaven is a holy place. Heaven is a pure place. Holy is a place for forgiven people. And it's a place that he wants all of his children to join him in forever. So this woman, this woman, though her sins were many, she was forgiven. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. She didn't say a word. She never quoted a verse of Scripture. She, she never said a word. She just cried. She just cried and poured stuff. She, she, just, she just stayed there in that presence, 
receiving all of the mountains of rejection, the molten lava of rejection, pouring out of Simon's eyes and whoever else was there. She had to have felt that to a degree. But what she walked out with, what she walked out with, ringing in her ears forever, I am what Jesus says I am. He said, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I am what he says I am. Now, my brother and my sister and my friend, this may be your first time to ever listen to a preacher holler, sweat, and spit all in the same time. However you're getting to this, however you're hearing this, every one of us have a choice. We can bow down to rejection. We can bow down to failure. We can bow down to shame. And let those voices frame our lives. And we say back to it, just as a knee jerk, as a reflex, I am what you say I am. I am what you say I am. Or, we can step into the shoes of this, this woman who I believe one day we're going we're gonna to know her name. We're going to recognize her face. She's walking the streets of glory. She beat us there by 2,000 years. And we can echo her word. I am who he says I am. Okay, now is it, is it by trying hard? Is it by having all the right company? Is it by never messing up? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he rescued us, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I just want to throw this in. It's been a long time since you sat with the memories of the life that you lived before Jesus rescued you. I would encourage you as a wonderful, productive, spiritual habit to regularly review and remember where you were when Jesus found you. We're changed, we're different, we, we look through different eyes now, thank the Lord. We, we, we have a different view of what we're, where we're headed and what we're going to be by his grace. But the problem is we got this treasure in an earthen vessel, Paul would say. And the problem with the earthen vessel is the earthen vessel can start trying to convince me, well, I really am something. I, I, I really wasn't all that bad. I don't know what these jerks are doing out here while they're doing that. When it's, if the Lord opened up his heart and just showed us how we were thinking and what we were doing and how long we did it and how, how far off the track we were back then when he got a hold of us, we'd never think those thoughts. But we forget what God got when he got me. Right? I mean, it, it's, it's not a bad thing for somebody to come up out of your past and say, oh, I, re I remember you. And we want to, well, just, just don't show up at my church. You know, just, just, just don't, don't go to my business. I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit here. We can text. 
and then I can delete. But it keeps us at the place. Listen, guy, folks, it keeps us at the place of being able to look into the eyes of hurting people, trapped people just like we were, but look at them not with judgment, but look at them with mercy and look at them with a prayer. Oh, Lord, what you did in me, do in them. Give them twice what you gave me. Rescue them, Lord, rescue them, rescue them. Instead, oh, God, just, just, just discipline them, just, just, just rebuke them. Just. Where does that come from? Okay. I am who you say I am. Now, sometimes you got to talk to yourself. You got to get up because that old flesh, I you know some of those memories come roaring in about daylight, sometime about midnight. David would say, Why are you in despair, O my soul? I will yet praise him, talking to himself. Sometimes it's good and it's right and it's a, it's a spirit-led process to talk to yourself. Soul, you're saying one thing, mind, emotion, will. You're saying one thing, but the Spirit of God is saying something else, and I'm choosing the Spirit of God. I am what you say I am, Lord Jesus. So if you're going to get the shame broken, and Jesus, the shame breaker, applying his ability to your life. He will show you how to, by faith in what he has already done for you, get your sins forgiven. Get your sins forgiven and released. It, it doesn't mean that there won't still be some of that harvest, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows or woman sows, that they will reap. That There can be some bad harvest that continues, but it's not the kind of harvest that means that your eternal home is not in the Father's house. It means that even with those things that we have done before, the Lord in his mercy is able to alleviate the full measure of consequences of many of them even turned many of them into places of just real praise and rejoicing that, that, that what I thought was lost, the Lord in his grace and mercy has given me back again. He's able to do that. If shame is going to be broken, then it means that, that we need to sense in our hearts Release, release from the shame, the sense of shame. Release in our hearts from the place of rejection, from one who comes to be more important to us than the ones who may remain in their rejection. We need release from the shame, and that is... Jesus' death on the cross. But there's another thing. There's another part. And we're not going to be able to finish this today. We need to hear not only that we've been forgiven. We need to know since that. But we need another voice talking to us. 
I'm going to say that again. Wide-eyed, deliberately, knowing who may be in this room and who may hear the believers in Jesus. If we're going to live free from shame, we need to not on, know not only that we have been forgiven. So there's nothing between us and the Lord. He, he has taken that. He has forgiven that. But we also need to hear another voice. Now I want you to just know, again, we're not going to be able to finish this, but I want you to turn in your, in your copy of the Scripture, Gospel of Luke, Chapter 22, verse 54. Luke 22, verse 54. And having arrested him, having arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too, was with Jesus too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, a, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean too. That the accent of the Galileans would give them away. Just like somebody from South Mississippi walking the streets of New York City is going to immediately be known as not a native of upper state New York. For he is a Galilean too. Certainly this man was with But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, folks, sometimes the, the shame is not in our before Jesus days. Sometimes the shame can befall us in the middle of the Jesus days. Now, just think about Peter. How, how, much, how much more advantage is a man going to have to do what's right and to stay on the course and to not fail? He, he was 
in the presence for the better part of three years for, of Jesus himself. He saw his own mother-in-law healed of fever. He, he, he walked to Jesus on the water. Remember that night? He was empowered to go out along with the other 10 and then and the other 12 and then the 11 and then the other, then the 70. And, and they were given power to cast out demons and heal the sick and even raise the dead if need be. For three years, he was caught up in this Jesus movement. But even though he knew Jesus, he had experienced personally the power of Jesus. He had seen it. There wasn't enough in him. There wasn't the sound of a loud enough voice speaking to him in that moment that he would choose to turn away from the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. God, Peter. He didn't want to be caught. He, 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 didn't, he didn't want to be rejected by the ones who were visibly in power at that time. And so he denied that he even knew Jesus. Now, before we start sending Simon Peter to hell, where have the settings been and the times been in our lives where the voice of the spirit of rejection was the loudest voice we were hearing. And in that moment or in that season, we said back to the spirit of rejection, I am what you say I am. I will do whatever I have to do to not be rejected by you. You own me. Well, turn, turn a page or two to Chapter 20 and verse 19, Jesus has died on the cross, Jesus has been buried, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and here we find these listings, one series of the listings of his appearance to the disciples. Peter obviously being in the group, though he had denied the Lord. Look at verse 19, John 20. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. This is Easter Sunday evening. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, last time they had seen him, he was hanging on the cross. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now he's, Peter's listening to that. The love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. For Simon Peter in particular, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
Peter, you denied me. But I'm still going to send you. I'm still sending you. And then he says, and it says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul will sometime later answer the question that believers will ask, who is the Holy Spirit? And Paul gives the answer. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The invisible presence of the living Jesus in the form of Spirit, the Spirit of God. Very, very clear. Jesus could not send the Spirit until he had ascended to the right hand to be with the Father. The, the, the Spirit would be poured out on the church. The invisible presence of Jesus would be poured out on the church once the physical, visible presence of Jesus had been taken out of the earth. And Jesus says, prophetically, looking at what is to come, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now stay with me. I, I'm, I'm watching the clock so you don't have to, okay? Won't you turn the page to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1, let's just read it. We're gonna, we'll, we'll try to work some more with this next week. Verse 3. To these, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering, the, the cross, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, the indwelling presence of God in the hearts of men and women. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, with other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. When this verse 6, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they reached one hearing them speak in his own language. Skip over to verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, 
Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. This is what, verse 16, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Upon my bond slave, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Now, how in the name of common sense does Simon Peter move from the coward? Listen to this. Move from Simon Peter the coward to Simon Peter the lion. It wasn't anybody else who stepped up and stepped out and spoke up. It was Simon. The crowd gathered. In the crowd were those representatives who had put together the plot to murder Jesus. Their spies were everywhere. If he was going to be a witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, it would mean that something would have to happen to what drove his cowardice on that night in Caiaphas' courtyard. What changed? What changed? What changed for Peter is the same kind of thing that can change for you. It's another voice, child of God. It's another louder, clearer, stronger voice. You are who I say you are, but also you have what I say you have. Filled with the power. Jesus knew. He spoke with compassion as he looked at Simon Peter. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit, Simon. Because you can be in the company of Christian people. You can be in the company of Jesus himself for three days, three years. And there not still be enough resident power to overcome the fear of rejection until you get that other voice talking to you. Until somebody from the other world, from the other place, Jesus himself, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I wish to goodness that more of us preachers would hear the voice of the Lord. You can quote scripture, and it still not be alive in your heart. But when the Lord, when, when Jesus would say, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Jesus was unique. Jesus was powerful. Jesus was effective because he was a man filled with the Spirit of the living God. And he says, receive ye. The Holy Spirit. Now listen, folks, I'm just telling because I've done this for 40, I don't know how many years I've been doing this. But it seems like every time I start talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, I look out there and there are folks that start looking at watches and they're checking out and they're dreaming. That's for somebody else. That's for Mother Teresa. That's for the Pope. That's for some super saint. No! No! The only way the Christian life will work is for you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is Jesus. The living presence of the actual Jesus in your chest. 
Work it in your mind. No, don't get me started. Don't get me started. What is it about the church coming alive? You don't have to wait till everybody on your row catches on to this. God can ignite a fire of revival that will change your life right now, right today, whether anybody else gets it or not. And then and, and here's the thing. Peter, Peter and John, they just kept getting in trouble. They kept preaching. They kept testifying. Power to talk about Jesus. And it says at one point, they arrested them, Acts 4, brought them in, started interrogating Peter and John. And the sense was, we've seen these guys before. These have been with Jesus. What was the characteristic that gave the sense that they had been with Jesus? It was the word confidence. When they observed the confidence. Another way to translate it is boldness. Confidence. You know what they were living in? I am what you say I am. Now these Pharisees and this tribunal, this Sanhedrin, they have drawn other conclusions about Jesus, but my conclusion is your conclusion is dead wrong. And the conclusion of who you are, Lord, is exactly right. I am who you say I am. I have what you say I have. Receive the promise of the Spirit. Receive the promise of the Father. Folks, it's so strange. Uh, you got to read. I need to read this, Acts 2. Acts 2. This is just, I want this just messes us up. Just, just Lord, I, did, I hadn't seen this before. At the end of the message, at the end of the message, verse 37, now when they heard this, all those who were listening, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now listen to what Peter says. Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this church, watch this Bible student, for the promise is for you and your children. The promise of what? The promise of forgiveness of sins, that's included. But specifically, it is the promise of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. So don't, don't sit there and think, just say, go for it, preacher. Preach it, Sammy. Brother, Brother Rich, you go for it. Stop that, you know. I mean, we appreciate it. But the same Holy Spirit who is supposed to animate and energize and direct your pastor and your preachers is the same Holy Spirit destined for you if you will receive it. Lord, I, and, and here, here, here's how we're brought into those situations. It's where we come to a place like Peter was in. I don't have the power to not fear the spirit of rejection. The, the shame on me, I, I can't. That's why Jesus said to his men, before he sent them out, receive the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, don't you leave to go anywhere. Don't, don't go anywhere until you're, you receive the promise of the Father. 
Now, folks, I'm not talking about some spooky, weirdo, quacko kind of thing that everybody's got to roll over backwards and speak to, you know, quote James in Chinese and, and do backflips over the roll. No, or, even, or even the thing of speaking in tongues. If the Lord gives you a tongue, then go for it. But to sit around and somebody trying to teach you how to, you know, say this, say Albuquerque 15 times. Say, say Albuquerque, 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 and then there you got it, you got it, you got it. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a gift. It's not a learned trait. All right, so, so spend all our time saying, well, I've got the Spirit. Got the... Here's how you're going to know you got the Spirit. <laughs> if you just can't keep your mouth shut. If, if, when, when, when you're in a setting and there's a sense of opportunity to speak for the Lord and, and something just begins to come up out of you, a boldness, the confidence, I am who he says I am. When, when you're in a situation and prayer needs to be prayed, or an act needs to be taken. A, a, a merciful thing needs to be done. And, and there's just the sense, that is what I'm, he's leading me to do. That is this voice helping me to do what I do. Lord, there were many, many fillings of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It's not just a one-time crisis thing and everybody got it for the rest of their days. They had to be filled again in Acts chapter 4. Acts 2, they were filled, baptized and filled. Acts 4, they were needing a fresh filling. That means the world can take a toll. The, this, this treasure that we have in the earthen vessel, the earthen vessel can get weak. Paul would say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. So, Lord, I need you by your spirit to refresh and strengthen and empower my spirit so this lower part of me won't be dictating and trapping me in the lesser things that I've given my life to. Yeah! I did You know, it's just, this is the difference. That's the difference. The promise of the Father was not the cross. I don't throw something at you. In order to get the promise of the Father, which was the coming of the Spirit to indwell every believer, the cross needed to happen. They're inseparable in many ways. But Jesus said, you wait for that which the Father has promised. Look, understand, belief in Jesus and his death on the cross gets you to heaven. But there's a dimension of he himself by his own invisible spirit coming to take over in power in your life that is the rest of the story. That's how the world is changed for Jesus. That is how your family line is changed for Jesus. Not being weird, not being crazy, but just being steadfast and bold and solid and kind and loving and merciful like Jesus was, being a witness of Jesus. Lord, if I, if I have... If I've messed this up, if I've gotten so fired up that I've gotten in the way of what you want to say to you people, I ask you just to somehow clear the static. But Lord, let us hear it. Let us hear it. I am what you say I am. I have what you say I have by faith. Lord, may those words ring in our hearts as we go forth from this place. Bless through us, Jesus. Bless through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.